John Moore is here for Your Spirit FM, and once again, I'm joined in his office with Bishop Gregory Parks, Bishop of the Diocese of St. Petersburg. And Bishop, we've been doing these little interviews for the last three months or so, but we've never really come up with a name. So I'm going to go for my view from the top with Bishop Parks. I think that sounds great, John. It uh, it encapsulates a couple of ideas. First of all, as the bishop, I'm the leader of the diocese, and then, of course, being six foot eight, uh, (laughs) definitely up at the top. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Speaking of being at the top, you led the ceremony uh, on May 6th for the consecration of the Diocese of St. Petersburg to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. We've talked about that in past programs. It came to pass. What a great turnout. John, it was overwhelming. I I would say it was really a historic day for our diocese. What a beautiful gathering at our cathedral to celebrate a holy hour during which we consecrated the diocese to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, as you said, and to see the faithful come from all over the diocese, literally from every corner of the diocese, all different ages. I mean, we had children there, young adults, teenagers, middle-agers, and so forth there, all different types of ethnic groups present. And uh, there was such a good, positive spirit there. It was just amazing and uh, far exceeded my expectations. In fact, at the beginning of my homily that day, I remarked that it was a great joy to me as bishop to see so many of the faithful there. It was standing room only. The cathedral was packed. And um, I know that it brought great joy to our Blessed Mother and to our Lord as well. Were you able to, to talk with any of the parishioners that, that, that came? And uh, was, it, was it the general great job, Bishop, or we love you, Bishop, that kind of thing? Or anything stand out? You know, as soon as I walked into the cathedral that day, uh, there was just such positive energy there. And I had uh, parishioners and faithful coming up to me to take a picture, to thank me for doing the consecration, to bless something, to bless a rosary or an image of Our Lady, uh, and so forth. And it was uh, really, it was overwhelming, the positive response uh, that I received that day. Certainly shows, too. Uh, I was watching the live stream, and at the end, there were people that just rushed the image of Mary up front for parish pictures, for pictures for themselves. And we saw a lot of parishes post what they were doing at their local churches as well online. That's very true. The the image that we used in the sanctuary of the Immaculate Heart of Mary was a very, very beautiful and inviting image. Uh, during the holy hour, of course, I had my own opportunity to spend some quiet time in prayer. And when I would look at the image, I would just be engaged by it, just What I remember is seeing our Blessed Mother's eyes looking directly at me. I felt like she was looking individually at myself, even though there were probably about 1,500 people in the cathedral that day. Uh, And you're right, individuals wanted to take pictures with the image, and um, it was just just a beautiful day. And I think that's the beauty of art in general, especially religious art, that it reminds you that whether it's a depiction of Jesus, God, Mary whoever that saint might be, that you're not worshiping that object at all, but they're reminding you that they are looking down at you. I would agree. In fact, you're right. I encourage all of the faithful to have images of our Lord, to have holy images, uh, statues in their homes. And the way I would describe it, it's, it's kind of like having pictures of your family there. It's not that you love 
the picture or the frame, but rather that when you look at that image of, of a family member, that you are able to express your love for them. And uh, that's what these images do. They lead us to a greater devotion to our Lord and to Blessed Mother, and they help us to enter more deeply into the mysteries of our faith. This past week was the Metropolitan Art Gallery deal. What was your take on what you saw? Well, John, when I witnessed and saw some of the pictures of the uh, celebrities, quote-unquote celebrities and stars who were there, I had a great sadness, to be honest. I couldn't help but think how our our faith was being mocked. Uh, For those who may not uh, know what we're talking about, they held a fundraiser for this uh, Met, for the Met up in New York, and the theme had something to do with heavenly bodies. Yeah, the Vatican had brought over some works of art and that sort of thing that were on display at the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and they went off of that theme for the fundraiser, and all these Hollywood people showed up in church attire, kind of, but I'm not talking about suit and tie or a nice dress. I'm talking about the the mitre and... Yeah, that was it was terrible. I thought, you know, to see our faith in essence being mocked in that way because they they dressed up as as sisters, as religious sisters and as you said as as a uh, one of the stars had a had a mitre on that a bishop would typically wear. Somebody else had angel wings and but it was not done in a respectful way. It, to me it was done in a mocking way. And uh, I couldn't help but feel a sadness about that. You know, the Catholic Church in a public way very much today is still under persecution because it's still one of the last religious organizations that has some authority and influence in the world. And unfortunately, I think that there's influences that would like to, uh, to see that diminished. So they take every opportunity to, uh, to kind of take a swipe at, at the church. It's interesting because I, I read some of the articles, and of course there's always a slant in it from an author who was there, but people were saying how, well, they grew up Catholic, but there's always a but. And it's only in times, it seems like, when there's real trouble in their lives or in our lives or a national emergency that people flock to the church. And the last time that I can really remember something like that was 9-11. And the, the, the churches were flooded that night. I, I remember the same thing. I was a, a young priest at that time in, in Orlando. And uh, do remember that that evening, that very evening on September 11th, people came to the church. We had a prayer service. We prayed the rosary. Confessions. uh, Confessions. It just was a natural thing for people to look to the church and to go to church for some meaning in an otherwise senseless event. We see the same with these tragic school shootings today. Usually one of the first things that happens is that there's a prayer service memorial service, you know, for those that have been affected. So there is something within us, it seems, that's very natural about looking to God and looking to a a faith community for support and for meaning at those very critical times in life. As we move through our life, as we move deeper into our faith, when we reach that age of reason, when we become in our teenage years, we go through the sacrament of confirmation. And you're in that season right now where you're going to all over the diocese bringing uh, mostly teenagers into the faith. Some of these parishes are really big and full. Have you seen a change in kids today with regard to their faith life as compared to maybe where it was 20 years ago with all the advent of technology and the distractions that they have? 
Yeah, as you said, uh, this is definitely the heart of confirmation season. And this year, I'm really trying to do, I think, almost all of the confirmations myself with a little bit of help from Bishop Lynch and uh, another bishop and our abbot, Abbot Isaac, when I have other commitments. But it's been great to travel around the diocese and to visit our parishes for the sacrament. And as I do so, you do see differences in the groups of young people that are gathered to receive the sacrament. You know, I try to think of myself uh, when I was confirmed. This would have been back in the probably in the mid to late 70s. I was in seventh grade, and I think the only memory I have of it is because there was a picture taken of me in a in a red robe, right? Uh, you know, with the with the bishop, and so I, I look at myself and I kind of wonder what I was thinking at that time sure. as a seventh grader. But I think today there is a challenge because we do compete with a lot of different sources. I think our young people have maybe um, a limited attention span, which is not surprising. You know, today, and even in my homily, I try to keep it short, probably to about 10 minutes or less, because I know I start to lose them after that. (laughs) And I know that you had mentioned uh, off mic as we were gathering together here, uh, that you had had gone to a mass up at St. Timothy recently for the Blue Mass for the police officers, and there were kids there as well. And you were sharing how you kind of engaged them in that Mass. Share some of that. I did. We, as you said, recently celebrated the Blue Mass, which is an annual Mass celebration which honors and uh, prays for our police officers, firemen, first responders, and those who secure us. And um, it was beautiful because we had the children from Mother Teresa Catholic School there present. And besides uh, addressing the, the officers and firemen and so forth that were present, I was able to speak directly to our children and to remind them that these men and women are the superheroes of our day, you know, that they put their lives on the line each and every day for us to keep us safe and to protect our freedom. And I also, in addition to, of course, always putting into their thought the possibility they might have a vocation to priesthood or religious life, asked them to consider maybe that they might have a vocation to public service uh, as a police officer or as a fireman and so forth. Yeah, our law enforcement over the last month here in the state of Florida have had a tough go with three officers being killed in the line of duty. Yeah, they sure have. And, And that's the other aspect of the blue mass is that we do remember and lift up in prayer those that we have lost in the line of duty during the past year, and of course pray for their families for their peace and consolation as well. You also had a chance to visit Bon Secours Maria Manor uh, over in in St. Petersburg. For those who were not familiar with Bon Secours, it's a nursing home assisted living facility, so going from a an area where you're you're reaching out to the children a lot of evenings, now you're going to those who are in the twilight of their life. And I know it meant a lot to the people there to have their own bishop come and be a part of their day. It does, John, and it, it's also special for me. I've made a commitment to visit Bon Secours at least twice a year. So I usually visit once uh, in the spring, around Easter time, and then once uh, during Advent, so right before Christmas, and celebrate Mass for the residents and the staff there. And then with other priests that join me for that event, we celebrate the Sacrament of Healing or Sacrament of Anointing with the residents who are present. 
And I think that that brings them great peace, you know, because that's what that sacrament is about, is about bringing peace and both spiritual and and physical healing. You know, one thing I would just point out to our listeners is, um, you know, sometimes when we get older, our memories aren't the best. And we even have individuals that begin to suffer from dementia and Alzheimer's. And uh, I think we probably all know people that, that have suffered that. But it's interesting at Mass when I lead them in prayer, for example, in the Our Father, they all seem to know it. It's like they immediately go back and remember that prayer. And that's a very, very beautiful thing that, that their faith is still a very big part of their life. And I think that's an important reminder, as you say, to the parents that are listening to this program that have children, that it's important to instill that, that sense of prayer time at the dinner table. That, yeah, it becomes uh, sometimes rote every night, and we don't maybe take it as seriously as we should. We just go with the words. But as we get older and we hit that late stage of our lives, those prayers still mean something, even uh, at that, that late age. Well, sure. And if our parents and grandparents don't teach our children how to pray, who's going to? And when we teach them how to pray, we set a foundation of prayer in their life. My family always prayed, you know, grace before meals. We wouldn't think about starting dinner uh, or another meal without giving thanks to the Lord. And uh, that continued uh, from the time we were children to even as adults and now. It's amazing, though, the number of people that don't pray. And even they may pray at home, but when they go out for dinner to a restaurant, they don't feel comfortable praying in public. That's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad, and uh, it's interesting. I've I've had occasions where I've been with a group, and we make the sign of the cross and say a blessing, and people have commented about it that, you know, it's nice to see people praying. So uh, not only is it good for us, but we can give good example to others as well. I can speak at the Morris household many nights. I'll say, dinner's getting cold. Let's go. I'm getting hungry. We need to pray. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that's the case your house when you grow up. But. Well, when you're hungry, sometimes the prayer is a little shorter, but it's still a, a prayer and a blessing of gratitude to God. Uh, I, I saw some news come out of the Dade City area that St. Leo has got a new president. They sure do. I I serve on the board of trustees for St. Leo University, uh, which is up in San Antonio, Florida, the northern one of the northern counties of our diocese, and we just did have a change in leadership there. Dr. William Lennox uh, has served as president for the past three years. And uh, if you don't know Dr. Lennox, he uh, also is a a retired general in the U.S. Army, and he assumed the leadership of St. Leo about three years ago uh, during a somewhat challenging time and has really contributed a great deal to the life of the university and set us up for going forward. But he did announce at our most recent Board of Trustees meeting a couple of weeks ago that he would be retiring. So we uh, have already found a replacement for Dr. Lennox. His name is Dr. Jeffrey Sinise. Dr. Sinise is relatively new to St. Leo. He's only been with us about six months Mm. and up to this point has served as provost which would be the equivalent of like a vice president, maybe vice president or a chief operating officer. He would take care of the day-to-day affairs uh, of the university, but uh, certainly a man with great experience, both in the Catholic university system, as well as in public universities as well. So you as being part of the board of trustees and with now having a new president, do you have to go through 
a visioning process for where the university will be going for the next decade or so? Of course. We do, we do that as many organizations do and as we are currently doing here in our, in our diocese, going through that visioning and planning process of where we want to be in, say, three years or five years. And St. Leo is no different. The university has uh, gone through that process and has a plan to move forward. As you may know about St. Leo, it's somewhat unique. And first of all, it is a a small Catholic university. There's only a a resident student population of about 2,000 students. But there's a huge uh, online distance learning student body that stretches not only here in the United States, but throughout the world. So it is a, a great Uh, educational product, and uh, we are very blessed to have a a quality Catholic university located here within our diocese. Mm -hmm. That's right. Mother's Day this weekend. Your own mother, uh, Joan, passed away in, uh, I think it was 2000, so it's been a long time. What do you remember most about Mrs. Parks? (laughs) I mean, what what, what jumps out at you, some of her qualities? Sure. Well, I I remember her being a great mom growing up. She was kind of the quintessential mom. She had three boys, and uh, she was a stay-at-home mom. Her main responsibility was to care for us and to make sure that our needs were met to keep us on track. And she didn't hesitate to do that. I, I saw my mom as a very strong figure within the house, and she didn't hesitate to discipline us when, okay. we, when we needed it, but also that she was very much a person of faith. Uh, I do remember my mom always being involved with the church on a volunteer basis, and eventually she uh, would earn a master's degree in theology mm. and go to work for the church as a director of faith formation, much like we have in our parishes today. So, But always a, just a good mom, a loving mom, very supportive of us, and, uh, but also a woman of faith. When something went down, who did you dread getting the the eye from, mom or dad? Well, probably both, to be to <laughs> well, be honest. I I think they would play off of each other. Sometimes my mom would defer to my dad and say, you know, the typical line, "Wait till your dad gets home." You know, and that was that was the worst part of the punishment was the waiting. You know, for him to get home. But sometimes mom would just uh, take that into her own hands. So I think. But, you know, it was, um, it was very loving, I think, uh, for them to do that and to help us, uh, as I said, to stay on the right track. And uh, when we did something wrong, to use it as a teaching moment for us. Mm-hmm. You know, the traditional family is not so traditional as we knew it back in the, the 60s and 70s. A lot of single moms out there these days. And as we close our time together today, I'm wondering if you could lead us in a prayer for all moms, those that are young moms, those that have a household of little ones that are going crazy, and maybe those that are maybe alone this time of year and haven't talked to their children in a while. Would you uh, lead us in a prayer as we close? Uh, Of course. Let us pray. God, our Father, as we celebrate Mother's Day this year, we give thanks and praise to you for the gift of our mothers for those living, and for those that have passed. We thank you for the gift of Blessed Mother, for Mary, who is our spiritual mother. We just ask through her intercession that you continue to bless our mothers in their role. And we just ask that through their guidance, through their help, through their inspiration and example, that we may grow closer to you and closer to your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask all of these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. And friends, let me remind you of this. We're going to start a new feature. If you would like to ask Bishop Parks a question or have a comment, you can email us at contact 
at myspiritfm.com. That's contact at myspiritfm.com. Bishop, can we close with your blessing? And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon us and remain with us always. Amen. Amen.